So we've been in a series entitled, I'm All Right. And what we've been doing is diving into a study that's based in the book of Romans, which is the clearest presentation of what God has done through Christ for all mankind. It gives us reason to rest in the hope that we truly can be all right in Christ. And that's important because for some of us, like me, I've been there, where we find, we seek rest, we seek uh, hope, we, we feel all right based upon our circumstances, based, on, based upon what we possess, based, based upon what we've accomplished, based upon what's happening or what happened or what we're hoping is going to happen. But the truth is that none of those things truly give us hope. None of those things give us the security that we will be all right. You know why? Because people will fail. Isn't that true? Right? Some of you are looking at somebody next to you and you need to stop that. Right? People will fail you. Your possessions will fail you. Circumstances in life will at times go wrong. It'll fail. But there is one thing that the book of Romans reveals to us. That with God in Christ, we truly are right. We're all right with God. And so this book of Romans, this letter written to the Roman church was written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through a guy named Paul who was once among the religious elite in his day. If you just look at the book of Acts, what you'll see is that Paul was known as Saul, was a guy who had it all together based according to religion, according to Hebrew thought. According to the dominating religion amongst his people, this guy Paul was the best of the best. In a portion of scripture, he alludes to himself as being one who was once a Pharisee amongst Pharisees. In other words, in his mind, in those days, he had arrived. But Paul quickly came to realize that none of these things made him right or better off before God and for life. As a matter of fact, there's a portion of scripture in the Greek where it renders that he says this, I count it all dung. He says, it's nonsense. It stinks. It's not worth anything. And so when Paul wrote this letter to the people of the church that was in Rome, he was addressing people who were located in this place of Rome who were made up of Jewish and non-Jewish Christians. And these people found themselves stuck where Paul had once been. Why do I say that? Because these people had grown to... Uh, uh, draw confidence from their religious observance, their outward appearance, their outward efforts. These people put confidence in what they were doing that appeared right before people. These people started to put confidence based upon the Jewish rituals that they began to follow or to incorporate into their worship. And Paul was addressing them and correcting them. And so one of the main reasons why many people believe incorrectly like they did is because we do not have a revelation of what it means to be in Christ. So let me ask you a question just for personal reflection. What does it mean to you when you say, I'm a Christian? What does it mean to you when you say, I am in Christ? What does it mean to you when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus? Now, I want you to think about this. This way, look at what the scriptures say in First uh, John four seventeen, and then we're going to dig into this a little bit more. It says, "In this 
what, what this is it referring to? In this union and fellowship with him, meaning Christ, love is completed and perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So let me illustrate this to you and then I'll kind of tell you what we're going to be talking about today. I want you to imagine that you are the inventor of the iPad. Some of you are going, I wish. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but I want you to think about it this way. Let's suppose that you invented the iPad and you're the one that upgrades it. And you decide, I am going to add this component, whatever you want this to symbolize. I'm going to add this component to the iPad. I'm going to upgrade it. I'm going to make it better. And so you take this, whatever this is, and you add it to the iPad, and now it becomes a part of the iPad. So the functionality of the iPad, the ability of the iPad, the purpose of the iPad, all now plays a part in this component. And this component is equally a part of everything relating to the iPad. So whatever happens to this iPad also happens to what you've now added to it. If you lift it, where'd that component go? Up, right? If you drop it in water, not only did the iPad get wet, so also did the component. So because that is true, I want you to think of it this way, what the Scripture is saying. As Jesus is, so are you. So let me ask you this. Is Jesus holy? I'm about to mess with some of you. So are you. Is Jesus blessed? So are you. Is Jesus, does Jesus walk in complete authority? So do you. Now, those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus. He says, all authority has been given to me. And he says, and now you go. And you impact this world. And you make disciples. And you go heal the, the sick. And you go raise the dead. And you go, go bring life. And you go teach them what I've taught you. So you see, what is true of Jesus, according to the scriptures, is true of you. And for some of us, we struggle with that because we see ourselves according to what we've been, where we've been, what we've done, what we're going through, who's in our life, what's lacking, or what we think is lacking, and we equate that to our identity. And today I want you and I to get up close and personal with God's Word as we dig into the topic of your true identity. Your true identity. And what I want you to start uh, priming the, the pump of your heart with in your mind is that what's true of Jesus is true of you. And that's important because what that means is what Jesus did is also what he has done in you. Unfortunately, there are too many uh, believers, too many people who do not believe correctly. We equate our identity to how we see ourselves in our past. We equate ourselves to our past. We equate ourselves according to our weaknesses, according to our conditioned beliefs, according to our circumstances. Can I tell you the truth? You are not your mistake. You are not your mess up. You are not your past. It may inform the way you think, but God has done something completely brand new in you. That, 
I'm preaching better than, 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 than I'm thinking right here. I'm telling you, man, this is, this, is, this is so simple, but it is so profound if we would allow the word of God to impact our belief. If we would see what God sees. So I got to ask you a question before we dig into this. Which is more important? Which do you believe? Do you believe what God's word says about you? Or do you believe what you feel about yourself? Do you believe what God's word says about you? Or do you believe what you see about yourself? Do you believe what God's word declares or do you believe what you've been taught? And that's important because today we're going to simply look at God's word. And I challenge you to rise up to the occasion where you simply accept what God's word declares that he has done in you and I. It will make the difference. It will, it will leave you in a place, in a state, in a confidence that you will always be all right no matter what is going on around you. And so I want us to turn to the scriptures today. And we're going to turn to Romans chapter 5. And there's so much more that we could look at in Romans chapter 5. But we're only going to look at verses 14 through 19. You can go ahead and dig into the rest. But this right here, this meat that we're going to dig into will help clarify some of the other things that you see in Romans 5. So starting at verse 14, it says, But from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, everyone had to die. What does that mean? That's a great question. Let's, let's read further. Adam died because he sinned by not obeying God's command. But even those who did not sin the same way had to die. So I want you to consider that this is not simply referring to the physical uh, transition of death. This is talking about a dying away, a decaying, a slow and steady downward spiral that perpetually works itself in our lives when we live apart from God. It's a dying away. It's what sin is equated to. So watch what it says here. But even those who did not sin the same way, those who did not do what Adam did, had to die. The one man, Adam, can be compared to Christ, the one who was coming in the future. Listen to why it says this. But God's free gift is not like Adam's sin. Many people died because of the sin of that one man. What the scripture is revealing here is that what happened to Adam, what came out of a result of the choice of Adam and Eve, began to work itself into everyone's life. So get this. So it says, but the grace that people received from God was much greater. Many received God's gift of life by the grace of this other man, Jesus Christ. After Adam sinned once, he was judged guilty. But the gift of God is different. There's a transition here. There's a change. There's something new that we cannot miss here. It says, he, his free gift came after many sins, and it makes people right with him. One man sinned, and so death ruled all people because of that one man. But now some people accept God's full grace 
and his great gift of being made right. Surely they will have true life and rule through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, the life that God wants you and I to have is now possible through what Jesus did. We're going to get this a little bit more in a second. So that one sin of Adam brought the punishment of death to all people. But in the same way, God, uh, Christ did something so good that it makes it all that it makes all people right with God. And that brings them true life. One man disobeyed God and many became sinners. But in the same way, one man obeyed God and many will be made right. Let me, let me, let me try and summarize this with a statement. What we're seeing here is a depiction that there was a passing on that occurred from what happened with Adam. Adam didn't just simply make a mistake. Adam became something apart from God. And so that in itself has been passed on. And what we see here is that sin does not come by way of what we do. It comes by what we inherited. I'm going to say that again. Sin does not come by what we do. It comes by what we inherited. Think of it this way. I want you to think of it as a gene. Now, genes are part of your DNA. And here's the thing about a gene. It can't be removed. You can't physically remove it. It's a part of your makeup. So if there is a defective gene, if there is a destructive gene, the only way to remove this gene, to cease its destructive work, is to cut off its ability to reproduce. So if you carry this gene, in order to avoid it going on in your line and throughout all men, you have to do what? You have to cut it. And the only way to cut it is by bringing to death the host that carries it. So from that point forward, that gene can no longer be passed on. So track with me here. So what we're seeing is that in order for there to be new life without sin, there had to be a new man is what Romans 5 is saying. A man who came into the earth without sin. Why? So that a new life could be possible unto all without this issue of sin. So think about this, because this is important. This is so important. It's for this reason that the scripture states that by one man's sin, death, quote-unquote, this faulty gene, ruled all people because of that one man. We all came from Adam. And therefore, what we see is this, that without Christ, we all carry this defective gene. But the scripture also tells us that in the same way, Christ did something so good by becoming a man among us. He put to death the gene, quote unquote, of sin, and he rose again to new life. And thus, he now carries new life that he brings for all. This is why the scripture says this, you must be born again. This is not talking about going into our mother's womb. 
This is talking about something has to die in order for there to be a new life. And that death isn't your physical death. That death is a dying away by accepting the new life that Christ has made. Here's what I want you to see. That you and I can't control what we are apart from God. But what we can do is accept the one who's exerted control to bring new life to you and I. And I'm going to tell you why that's so powerful. Because faith in Christ isn't just for the forgiveness of sin. It's also for the death of your sin. Now, why is that important? Because for some of us, we still believe I'm a sinner. Let me ask you a question. What will you believe? Will you believe the word of God or will you believe what you feel? Will you believe what you see? What you believe, will you believe what you've been taught? I'm not teaching you anything here. I'm just simply pointing us to the word of God. Will we believe what God's word says? There's plenty of examples, and I don't have time to get into them. One that comes to mind for me is Hebrews 8. I believe it's verse 12, where he says, he references the Old Testament where God says, and I will remember your sin no more. The scripture says in the book of Isaiah that as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed sin from you. You know what's interesting about the east and the west? They never touch. They never meet. The scripture says that he has washed you. Though your sins marred you and made you red as crimson, he has washed you as white as snow. He remembers your sin no more. And so listen closely. If God's not thinking about you in that way, why are you? Again, whom will you believe? Will you believe what God says? Or will you believe what you think? And so we begin to see something powerful here. In essence, Romans 5 teaches us two powerful truths. Number one, it teaches us that we were made sinners because of what Adam did, not because of anything we did. I'm going to say that again. We were made sinners because of what Adam did, not because of anything we did. It's a result of who we were. But the converse is also true. We have been made righteous because of what Jesus did, not because of anything we did. I'm going to say that again. We've been made righteous by what Jesus did, not by anything that we did. Now, you've got you to gotta really chew on that. Because we think sin is our actions. But the scriptures clearly declare that when we were born, we were born into sin. So it's not an action. It's a nature. It's a, it's a being. It's a belief. It's an identity. And what we see according to Romans 5 is that Christ has removed that identity and you no longer have to own it. 
So I'm going to ask you a question for you to answer for yourself. Are you a sinner or are you righteous? We've got to come to a place of decision. Do I believe God's word at what he says about me or do I believe what I think? And so here's a good question that I know somebody's thinking. I heard somebody online think it. So I'm going to answer that, right? Oh, you didn't know about me, huh? See, what you don't know is I don't have anything more special than you do. I've just walked in the same shoes that you and I have. I've struggled with this stuff. I know what it is to be defeated, to feel defeated, to believe like I'm not good enough for God, to believe that my mistakes define me as a person, and to struggle. I've been there, man. I did that for years. And then all of a sudden, I, as I continue to study the word and pursue God and, and set aside the opinions of people and set aside the religious rules that I had been taught for years, as I began to set all that aside and I just began to consider what God's word says, I had to ask myself, is what, God say, is, is what God's word says true? Or will I continue to hold on to what I believe to be the truth? See, if you just simply take God as, at his word, you will begin to walk in freedom. Because you will understand that you are not damaged goods. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Man, if you're online, I don't usually do this, but if you're online, you've got to share this right now. And if you're here, you got to let somebody know this. You got to take this to someone. You got you to begin to walk in this. Because I'm telling you, this is the key to be free. And so I want us to look at an example on accepting our true identity. The Bible records a moment in the life of a man named Bartimaeus. And this guy's life was completely transformed. But this transformation was not an outward one. It was an inward one. You see, as we're, as we're going to quickly see, he came to see himself differently. And there's much that we can learn from his example if we are to truly see ourselves as righteous and holy, if we are to believe what God's word says. And so Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46, says that they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But check this out. He shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And so they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, meaning teacher, I want to see. In verse 52, Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. 
and immediately he received his sight. But watch this. And followed Jesus along the road. So the onset of our text introduces us to Bartimaeus on the side of a road. And we have to ask ourselves some important questions. Why is he on the side of the road and not amongst the crowd? Why is he begging? Why are people trying to silence him? See, all these questions speak to his circumstances and how they affected him. But they also speak to the view that he maintained and people maintained of his identity. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. As someone who was blind in these times amongst the people of Israel, because he was blind, Bartimaeus was relegated. He was set aside in life and in society to the position, to the place of a beggar. Why? Because he was looked upon as defective. He was looked upon as useless. And he was also looked upon as unworthy before God. You see, Hebrew thought in those times said that if you had some sort of handicap, if you were born with a handicap of some sort, if you had some sort of impediment that was physical to that extent, you were viewed upon as one who God has stricken with it because of some hidden sin or something that your family, your parents had done that you were bearing the brunt for. And so in this position, in this place in life, the only thing that you were allowed to do to survive was to beg. And so thus we find Bartimaeus on the side of a road and he's begging. But we have to also consider where he's begging. The scripture tells us that he's on the side of a road in Jericho. And that's important because Jericho, as some of you might know, was a church town. Jericho was a city that was largely inhabited by Jewish priests and Levites, people who served in the temple, people who presented offerings on behalf of the people, who prayed and administered uh, uh, ministry to the people, who served the people, who uh, did all types of sacrifices and incest and, and offerings and all these religious things. They looked right on the outside, but on the inside, it was a completely different story. And so this is where blind Bartimaeus survived as a beggar. And you got to understand that because he was in Jericho, his condition and his identity or who he thought he was as a result of it was largely stressed more so because he was among people who reminded him. Whether by ignoring him or by giving him an alm or leaving him on the side of the road, they reminded him, you are damaged goods. You are not worthy of God. And so, this guy Bartimaeus spent his days on the side of the road in Jericho, appealing to the sympathies of people that were passing by in hopes that they would pity him and extend some small token of grace by their alms. Now, you got to also understand that these people in Jericho, by and large, understood, many of them, because they were religious elite, they understood that you were to give to the poor. You were commanded to do so. So to them, it was a godly thing. 
So Bartimaeus was their opportunity to exercise outwardly what they were commanded to do. But what we find is this, that on this day, as there's a massive crowd and Jesus is passing by, and mind you, the crowd was made up of disciples and people from Jericho. They're all passing him by, and here Bartimaeus is on the side of the road, ignored, set aside, looked upon as damaged goods. And the scripture says that when Bartimaeus gets wind of the fact of who's passing by, he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we have to understand what that means. Because, you see, what Bartimaeus was declaring was, Jesus, you are the one that God promised us to be the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ that would come through the family line of David. So he's crying out, Jesus, Son of David. He's saying, Savior of the world, Messiah, Christ, the Anointed One. Have mercy on me. And the scripture tells us that the people around him rebuked him. And they tried to silence him. Now listen, to the average beggar, this day represented a jackpot. Why? Because all the church people are walking by you as a beggar. But to Bartimaeus, as we see from the scriptures, this was truly a jackpot. Because Bartimaeus went from being a blind beggar to seeing, not just physically, but seeing the anointed one and following him. His life was transformed. And so, as Jesus passed by and he's crying out, the scripture tells us that the people are trying to shush him. And what we have to see is that they're rebuking him for a reason. They're saying, how dare you say that he's the Christ? Now remember, there's also disciples among this, amongst this crowd. And what you have to understand is by him saying, Jesus, son of David, by him saying, Messiah, have mercy on me. According to Jewish thought, you had to be righteous and holy and have it all together to even attempt to approach God. So by silencing him, what they're saying is, how dare you say he's the Christ and how dare you say that you're worthy to call on him? See, these people weren't just simply trying to silence him. They were trying to kill something within him. And what you have to see is that the, the crowd was enraged. And they saw fit that they had to silence him. And if he remained silent, by default, Bartimaeus would allow them to put a stop to that which was rightfully available to him. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But this leads me to the first of three points of application that I want to leave us with today. The first point that I want to leave you with is this, is that our lives begin to end the day we grow silent about our rights before God. I'm going to say that again, and then I'm going to qualify that, because I know that's, that's wordy. But you got to understand where I'm coming from with this. Our lives begin to end the day we grow silent about our rights before God. These people were, 
weren't just trying to silence his, his voice. They were literally assaulting, attacking, trying to kill his faith. Bartimaeus did not simply hear about Jesus. We know that. He had heard, not, he, not only had he heard about Jesus, but he considered who Jesus was. So much so that when Jesus is passing by, he concludes and he openly declares, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are my salvation. And people are trying to kill that in him. And they're trying to stop him from daring to believe that he could approach God. You know, I have a grandson. I have grandkids. And I'm, I'm truly enjoying this season in my life. I really am. But my grandson, when he walks into the house or he comes upstairs to the office, I, I can be there early in the morning on a Sunday, you know, just kind of having my own time. Or I could be there during the week sometimes. And he'll walk in. And he doesn't just push the door and walk in. No, you got to understand, David pushes both doors into the office, and he goes, I'm here. I'm here. And then he comes up. He goes, my pop-pop. He steals my heart every time. He goes, my pop-pop. And then he comes to my desk, and he assumes, without me telling him, I have a right to sit on your lap. I get to see what's on your computer. What are you doing on your iPad? He starts accessing all the paperwork on my desk. He takes full run of the mill. But let me tell you what I love about that. David has no concept of not having access to everything that's mine. And that's powerful. You know, Jesus once said, don't keep the children from me. Bid, bid them, don't forbid them to come to me. He says, for of such is the kingdom of God. Listen to a kingdom principle. In the kingdom of God, God's children understand I can come to the Father at all times. There's nothing stopping me. And so when we're talking about our rights before God, you must understand that you have the right not just to call upon God, but to trust that what he says is true, and therefore you have a right to it. You have a right to it. It's yours. The question is, do you believe that? Think of it this way. When you talk to God, some of you call it prayer. Right? But prayer sounds so super spiritual. So much so that for some of us, we don't think we can do it. Because we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. But when you begin to pray, when you begin to talk to God, are you confident? Do you find yourself being really wordy with your prayers? Do you feel that you have to somehow repeat God's name a million times and that it makes him hear you? Let me give you an example of that. And Father God, 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 and Father God. You know what Jesus said? Be careful when you pray and don't put confidence in these vain repetitions, he says. None of that makes you heard before God anymore. None of that makes you righteous before God. None of that gives you greater access. You know what gives you access? Confidence that you are his child and that you have a right to come to him, that you belong to him.
Now, I'll tell you what that does. When you have that confidence and when you know you have that right to come to God, you will come to him. And not only will you ask big, not only will you believe big, but you'll begin to see big things transform in your life. So I ask you again, do you have confidence when you go before God? Do you come here feeling bad about yourself? Do you feel inadequate? My friend, let me tell you the truth. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And there is nothing wrong with you in the sight of God. I don't care what anybody else says. Neither should you. The only opinion that matters is God's. Man, I'm preaching better than you're responding. <laughs> Listen, man, it makes me want to do a crazy praise. Look, I want to leave you with another point here. In light of what we see from Bartimaeus' example, we cannot become who we are until we know who we're called to be. I'm going to say that again. We cannot become who we are until we know who we're called to be. You know, everyone in this crowd on the road with Jesus was following him. Some of them were disciples. Some of them weren't. But they were following him nonetheless. But none of them could hear the heart of Jesus when he called upon Bartimaeus. They didn't understand what he was getting at. You got you to realize that Jesus calls Bartimaeus, but then he asks him such a powerful question. He says, what do you want from me? Matter of fact, let me, let me quote that correctly. What do you want me to do for you? You know who gets that question? The one who knows that there's nothing that God withholds from them. Bartimaeus came with confidence. You know, there were many people there that day, but their religion and their own beliefs prevented them from understanding and perceiving the call that Jesus not, was not only extending to this man, but it was for all of them. On the other hand, Bartimaeus, the guy who had lived on the side of the road, the guy who was damaged goods, the guy that everyone said, you don't qualify to even pursue God. You just qualify to receive some, uh, some, some form of pity from people. This guy understood that when Jesus said, tell him to come, that something had changed. See, when Jesus called him, no opinions, no past, no condition, no circumstance no longer mattered. We're going to see that in a second, but I want to share with you a portion of Scripture to encourage you from 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 9. Now, let me just be clear that if you just read two verses before that, what you'll see is that the Apostle Peter, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking to a church, to the church, and he's saying, listen... This Christ, this Jesus that we believe in will be a stumbling block to some because they believe religiously. 
So with that understanding, listen to what he says. But you, in other words, there's something different about you. He says, but you are chose a chosen race. Listen to what he says. You are a royal priesthood. You need to understand what Jesus is saying here. When it talks about a chosen race, that word race there speaks of an entirely new being, a new species, a new people. And so he says, you are a chosen race. And when he says you are a royal priesthood, he's saying you are at the tip top of the class of all priests. And for Jews, that was a, you know why? Because only the priests. The high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. Only the priest could dare speak to God. Only the priest could lay at the altar the sacrifice to make one right. And so the word of God is saying here, you are a royal priesthood. You have that access. And then watch what he says. You are a holy nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies. It's saying that you might be the example, that you might be the vessel through which God shows himself strong of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, it's not until you and I accept and believe what God sees and who he says we are. It's not until then that you and I can walk in the fullness of the expression of this reality. You are holy. You are righteous. I want to invite you to say something with me. Just a little exercise. Say this with me. I am not a sinner. There is nothing wrong with me. I am righteous and holy before God, and no one else's opinion matters. Now, I'm glad you're excited about that, but I want you to be honest with yourself in your heart of hearts. I want you to be completely honest with yourself. Do you believe that? I want you to think about this, because if you don't believe that, you don't believe God at his word. You don't believe God. You don't believe that what Jesus did is good enough. But today, I said today is the day that this changes. Because today what we're considering is God's word. There's freedom in this. You know, we act upon our beliefs. And maybe the reason why for some of us life is going so wrong is because you're believing wrong. You're trying to go by what you see in the mirror. You're, going to, you're trying to go by what you feel. And God says, you haven't got a revelation of what I've done who you are, what your true identity is. 
in Christ. The last point I want to leave you with here that we learn from Romans 5 and this guy Bartimaeus' example is that to embrace what you have become in Christ, you must let go of what you once defined you. I'm going to say that again. To embrace what you have become in Christ, you must let go of what once defined you. Listen, the scripture says that upon answering the call to come to Christ, Bartimaeus took off his cloak. Now you got to understand that for a beggar in those days, this cloak was probably one of his most prized possessions. Why? Because this guy was destitute, which means that this guy relied upon this cloak. See, yes, there was warm weather in that region. There is warm weather in that region during the day, but at night it gets mighty cold. And so this cloak was more than just a covering. It was also probably a shelter for him. This cloak, being that he was blind, he probably relied on this cloak to be able to collect the alms that people gave him because he was blind. He could not see. So he probably would take his cloak and do what? Extend it out. And people would just pop it into his cloak. So you see, this cloak was important. But when Bartimaeus rose up, when he heard, the teacher is calling you to come. Look at what the scripture says. Bartimaeus let go of the one thing that was his most prized possession, that was the means for his provision, that defined his ability to survive in life. Bartimaeus takes off his cloak and he goes to Jesus. Listen, this man saw before his eyes were opened. He saw, I'm worthy of God's call. Is it any wonder that Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to take that question personally. Because it's more than just what you want. It tells us how God sees us. You're mine. What do you want? What are you dreaming about? The door's open to you. Let's stand here today as we come to a close. And I want to leave you with a portion of scripture that is a means of application. It's a call to act upon the truth that we've heard today. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 says this, put off your old self. Take it off. Don't wear it anymore. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Listen to what God is saying. Take off that cloak. It's not yours. It's not who you are. And listen to what it goes on to say. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, come alive and see in your heart. Believe this. Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Here we are every day putting on a soiled identity. Saying, I'm damaged goods. I'm no good. I'm not good enough. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And God's saying, you've got the wrong picture. I don't call you a sinner. I don't mix your identity. I don't call you salt and whatever else. I don't call you light and darkness. No, I call you my light. I call you righteous. I call you holy. So if I call you that, then don't put anything on but that. In casting aside his cloak, get this, when he takes off his cloak, he's still blind. But Bartimaeus says, I don't need this cloak anymore. I don't need this identity. And watch this. It was the very means by which he was able to see. After he saw, Bartimaeus did something that many of us think we do, but we don't. Bartimaeus not only saw with his eyes, he saw himself as one worthy to come to God. And as a result, he no longer needed that identity. And he followed Jesus from that day forward. There are too many people following Jesus, but we're part of the crowd. We're not a Bartimaeus. Why? Because we don't have the confidence to see Jesus for who he is and what he's done in our lives. I'm telling you today, somebody, you need to hear this. Today is the day that you see for the first time. And you believe and you accept, I am righteous and I'm all right. And from this day forward, I guarantee you this, not because it's my words, but because the word of God clearly gives us examples of this all throughout the New Testament. You believe that from this day forward you will experience transformation. It's over. And there's a new life you're stepping into. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us and I can't wait to connect with you next week.